0: The year before last at the parish that I was previously assigned to in Prairieville, at St. John, there's St. John Primary, which is right next to the church on our campus. There's a school building, and there's a little side, what we use as a playground. And there was this big live, not live oak, a water oak tree. And when Ida came through, it split the tree in half. Half of it remained standing, and the other half of all the places on the playground decided to fall straight into the school building. So we had a couple months of reconstruction and all that fun stuff. But it was kind of surprising because, at least to me, this tree looked very, very healthy. The roots seemed really strong. It was always full of leaves. The outside was nice and sturdy. It looked healthy. But what was so surprising is when it split, we saw that the inside was actually just totally rotten. It was dead. There was nothing holding it up, so all it took was a good windstorm to split it down the middle, and the rest was history. So then a few days later, we come with the chainsaws and we take it off of the school building. We cut the rest of it down because we couldn't risk the rest of it falling at some unknown time or location, meaning who was around it. We didn't want anybody to get crushed by the tree. And that tree in particular, I tell you, was the source of many, many homilies for me in the pastor at St. John. And you get to hear one of them tonight. That tree is going to be the source of this homily. And the reason because we go back to this image of that tree, the outside looking nice and sturdy, nice and fine, everything's good. But the inside was very dead, is very hollow, very weak and did nobody any favors. That's exactly what comes to mind when we hear St. John the Baptist screaming in the first place. We tend to think St. John the Baptist was nice and neat. Even the picture here in the, the book of the gospels, he's nice and trimmed up with his beard. He has a staff and he's baptizing people. The man wore camel's hair, a leather belt around his waist, and that was it. His hair was not kept. His beard was crazy. People thought he was insane. He was screaming and hollering to be heard. And then the Pharisees and the Sadducees come around and he starts to lay into them. You brood of vipers, he says. You bunch of snakes. You fake people. You liars. Later on in the gospel, Jesus would kind of continue that. When Jesus would call them, whitewashed tombs. You look all nice and clean on the outside, but inside you're just cold and dead, full of bones. We need to be called out from time to time, and I say we, myself included, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, because what St. John the Baptist says is very important. When he looks at them and he says, produce good fruit as evidence of your repentance. Produce good fruit. In other words, don't just say that you're sorry. Don't just say that you're repenting. Don't just make a verbal statement. Show something for it. Make sure it's changing something. The reality is that repentance demands a change in our lives. Maybe it's a change in total behavior. Sure. Maybe it's a change in how we interact with other people. Maybe we change how we speak, how we think. Hopefully, please, Lord, at the very bare minimum, how we pray. When we are truly sorry, something's got to change. Think about a relationship with someone else. If they constantly offend you or sin against you or insult you over and over and over, and they come back over and over and over, you should forgive them. But chances are they're going to run out of chances for reconciliation. Something has got to change. Prove to me that you are sorry. Prove to me, the Lord says. He knows where our hearts are. So that proof really isn't for him, is it? It's for us. I don't really prove to myself that I'm sorry for something unless I work actively against it. We don't really talk about it all that much for some reason, but Advent really is a penitential season. It's a season of repentance, fasting in some kind of way, not really the same degree, although you can make it if you want, as Lent, giving something up daily, praying a little bit more, doing all of these things, but really it bears fruit in life, because when we make those changes, good things happen, at least when it's a good change. When we're doing the good work of dedication to the Lord to try to hear his voice more, let him point out whatever it is he needs to point out so that we can get rid of it. Because look at the other thing that St. John says, that St. Matthew puts in here, and it seems to stand out and not really fit in. It's just this random phrase. What does he mean by that? When he says, "...even now the axe lies at the root of the trees." The axe is made, it's nice and sharpened and polished, and now it's just laying at the base of the tree, he tells these Pharisees and Sadducees. Meaning, you have the chance to pick up the axe and cut off what doesn't need to be there. Prune the vine, cut the tree. If it's not bearing fruit, get rid of it. Because you have a choice to make. Either you can do it yourself, or what we don't want to happen, as Jesus says elsewhere in the gospel, God the Father will do the pruning. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And God the Father is the vine dresser. Apart from me, you can't do anything. So stay with me. Abide with me. Remain with me. We don't know where Jesus is for us to go and to abide with him unless we do the work of repentance. Actually recognizing our sins, claiming what it is, and then being sorry for it. Otherwise, we look strong on the outside, but just like the tree, we're going to split and fall because the inside is dead. It bears no fruit. But the Lord doesn't just say all of this. He doesn't send John the Baptist to start doing his work and kind of making straight the path of the Lord, as he says, without a promise of something. It's very profound, all of these readings that we have in the Gospel, in the Mass today. The first reading from Isaiah, the Responsorial Psalm, even St. Paul, 100 years later, writing to the Romans. They all promise something. This long reading from Isaiah is promising a whole lot. It's this underlying message of hope. All these different things make no sense to the human mind, because our experience of the world tells us something different. When he says the lion and the ox are going to be friends, most of the time the lion is going to eat the ox. The child is going to be able to go play around the cobra's den and then pet the adder, the viper, the snake. What parent in their right mind would say, oh yeah, that's where the snakes lives. Go play, honey. Have fun. But we're promised that, like we hear in the Responsorial Psalm, justice will be done, and it's going to last Peace will be here in its fullness in the Lord's time when this Messiah comes. The ox and the lion are going to be friends, so will the child and the cobra. All of this is just going to iron itself out, and we're going to be back as in original creation. The Garden of Eden, everything will be fine when the Messiah comes. But we have one problem the Messiah already showed up 2,000 years ago. When Jesus walked this earth, he is the Messiah. He is man and he is fully God. So why then do we still see death and devastation and natural disaster and epidemics and failure? All of these different things that tear us apart as human beings. Why does it still exist if the Messiah has already come? Dare I say, because we refuse to change as human beings. We like staying complacent, don't we? We like where we are. My comfort is my comfort and I don't want to go anywhere but that. And yet the message remains. Produce good fruit to show your repentance. Do the good work of preparing for Advent. Celebrating Christmas has its time and its place. And as Father Andrew loves to remind us on staff, we're not there yet. Everywhere else in the world we're singing the Christmas songs and you see the lights going up. We're kind of Desolate in here. There's no Christmas lights. We have the Advent wreath. No trees, no nativity. It's for a reason. We are still preparing. We shouldn't be shocked when Christmas comes around and it just kind of slips past and doesn't really touch us to the core. It doesn't make an impact if we don't prepare for it. Think of Easter in just a few months when we go through 40-something days of Lent, preparing and fasting. And then Easter comes around and it's happy for like a few hours at the Easter vigil or Easter mass. And everybody's here. There's all the smells and the bells with the incense and fancy vestments. We're singing hallelujah a million times. But then there really is no lasting effect of the resurrection. Why? Because we refuse to change. Something has got to give. Something's got to change. When we really do prepare ourselves, something is going to make a difference. If we take these next three full weeks of Advent to really examine ourselves, not in shame, but in honesty and humility, to recognize where our sins are, where our failures are, our shortcomings, to call ourselves out of that, hopefully during the Advent season to make a good confession, to get rid of it all, to repent and to bear good fruit in life, then when Christmas comes, we will recognize the child lying in the manger. We'll know that he's the Messiah, the King, the Lord. Then we'll start to receive all of these promises throughout Scripture. All of these fruits of the Holy Spirit that hopefully sounded familiar in Isaiah's reading. Because those are the same fruits of the same Holy Spirit that you received at Confirmation. Hopefully you want justice and peace in the world. Hopefully you want hope that St. Paul talks about. All of these things are readily available to us, but we can find them nowhere else, nowhere else, other than the true vine, Jesus himself. Something has got to change within us, but it's never too late. We can always start now. I hope we will start now. The Lord doesn't bring up our sins to shame us, he brings it up so that we can choose against them and choose him again, to run back. Yes, as a repentant sinner, but as a beloved child of his. A chosen offspring, springing from this root of Jesse we hear about a lot during the Advent season. Because you were chosen, you were cherished and you were called by him To repent, yes, but to make a change in yourself. Because when you bear this good fruit, other people see it and they're transformed by it. And they do the same. And then other people do the same. And then imagine what the world would look like. Imagine what the church in general would look like if we repented truly, bore good fruit truly, took the axe when we needed to, trimmed away from this tree of life that we are, what didn't need to be there, to really shape up and be the beautiful, beautiful people that we are created and called to be. Brothers and sisters, it is not too late to make a change. It is not too late to repent, to come to the Lord, to lay everything at His feet, and to trust that He will not abandon you. He has not, He has not now, and He will not. He waits. And so as the prophet Isaiah wrote about John the Baptist, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. We continue that preparation. We continue to tidy up, to tighten up. We continue to do the hard work to make the change and to always go to the Lord in joy, to live this peace and this justice and this hope and this fear of the Lord and this wisdom and everything else that's promised to us in the readings. It's promised, and we await it. But if we don't await it with making the change, making the jump, and choosing to be those people, we wait in vain. Thank you for listening to the Christ the King at LSU podcast. The ministry here is possible thanks to our generous supporters. If you would like to become a CTK Golden Giver or learn more, please check our website. Your monthly financial support reaches hearts across LSU's campus and beyond. Details can be found on the website at ctklsu.org.